Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Matt, the founder of POV Culture. This is a really special episode because I was interviewed by a close friend and client of mine. She's a CEO of a place down in Normal Heights called Collective Impact Center. And uh, it was just a really raw, kind of natural, organic environment to dive into this this idea of kind of my story and how people fit in in a world where they don't really fit in. And I've never really fit in in my life and I've always had to kind of blaze my own path. And this is a really kind of interesting cut into my brain and the journey of what is your truth foundation and keep communications and all the other crazy things that I've done that have worked and all the things that I've done that have failed. But without further ado, I give you the episode of me being interviewed by Melissa Williamson. Thank you so much for your time and attention. But I'm going to shut up now and you leave me. Okay. Thank you for shutting up now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you should know I've never listened to a podcast. Okay. Um, That's great. I, yeah. And um, I've never been in a podcast. Cool. And so I know nothing about podcasts. Cool. You're not, you're unbiased. That's awesome. And I did that on purpose yeah. because I wanted this to be as organic as possible. It's beautiful. Um, I talk to people all the time. So I think we probably should start by introducing ourselves. Sure. So people know who's speaking. Sure, absolutely. So I'm Melissa. Yeah. And I'm the CEO of the Collective Impact Center. Yes. And we are a co-working community and we have a niche of members here. And our niche is social entrepreneurs. I always have to take a deep breath because it's a lot. Nonprofit professionals and artists. Yes. And um kind of the alternative to the traditional co-working right because of the mere fact that we have that niche and we're trying to build a community where everyone's different skill sets are serving each other yes. so um i took a particular interest in you because of the mere fact that when you messaged me on my business instagram mm -hmm. i could tell it was you yeah yeah, I have I'm a background glad. in, uh, <laughs> I wear a lot of hats, um, other than just being the CEO. Me I have, too. I have, uh, yes, <laughs> we have a lot in common. Um, I do social media branding for my clients as my other consulting work, and I was like, okay, this is a real person. Yeah. So I really wanted to connect with you, and I only know a little bit about what you do. Yes. So. This will be fun. Exactly. <laughs> so I really, I, I kind of got an idea of like where you're coming from and why you do what you do, but I really want to know Please. the whole story. Yeah, I mean, um, there's not many places, if there are any, that I won't go. So feel free to dig around. It'll be a good time. Okay. Where I want to start is um, introduce yourself. Yeah. My name is Matthew Iskey. I'm the founder and president of the board of an organization called the Your Truth Foundation. The Your Truth Foundation provides education to kids in San Diego to prevent violence against and trafficking of women and children. Um, I also wear a lot of hats. I mean, I, I work at a school. I might be an actual marketing teacher. Um, I was in the marketing business for in 2015. It was, it was decently successful. It made it to top five in San Diego. And then I moved into the space of the work that I do now in 2016. Um, I have a little small like home repair company that I help kids and provide jobs and like paint people's houses and do stuff like that. Um, I sell toys on eBay. I have this weird like fascination with buying a Nerf gun for 50 cents and flipping it for 10. I think that's amazing. I think it's super fun. I don't know why, but it's just one of my things. Um, I'm a professional boxing coach. I currently coach an Olympian by the name of Danielle Wolf, who is our 156 pound representative for Team USA in Tokyo in 2020. So there's a lot of different things that I do. Uh, I, write a, I wrote a book on knee, on knee injuries and youth athletes. Wait, and you wrote a book? I wrote a book on-, okay. on I like how you just slid that in. Yeah, yeah, you know, that it made it, it was a top 10 in its category on Amazon. Um, yeah, lots, lots of different things. I, I just, I don't like sleep and I really like creating things and uh, figuring out what is actually possible in this world versus what we're told and just not necessarily pushing the limits, but kind of pushing the limits. So we have a lot in common on a lot of spaces, mm -hmm. um, except for the fact that you don't like sleep. <laughs> I personally like sleep. So at least I know you're not my walking, talking twin that has split into a male version of me. So that's comforting to know. Almost. <laughs> um, but where I wanted to go into in particular is I've been, um, I've been 
social media uh, fangirling you for the last couple of days. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, the message that I've been getting a lot lately um, from what I've been seeing, what you've been publishing, is you're just doing what you love. Yeah. And it shows. Like, you have a lot of passion. I'm glad that comes across. Yeah. Yeah. And I know what that's like because that's what I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. And people are just like, well, where do you, where is that passion coming from? And how is it possible that you're doing what you're doing? And how is it feeding you? Mm -hmm. And this is almost too good to be true, the time and energy that you're giving other people. That phrase, you're not the first person to say that phrase to me in the last week. Yeah, so I actually kind of wanted to hear yeah, your I, I feedback about it. Sure, so that phrase of like, is it too good to be true? I, I it's, and that's the part, I mean, it's, we made, we, we shot a video. Who's we? my video team geek communications team we we shot a video about this out here because i had a call with a client right before i met you last week mm -hmm. and i pitched him and he said that's great but this sounds too good to be true mm -hmm. and and it's interesting that it's coming up again a week later and i don't know it makes me really happy and i'm probably gonna end up cursing a little bit because we're gonna start to get like passionate i'm gonna start Please to yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was the same thing of like there are good people in this world who want to do good things and I actually care about serving people or helping people and actually building things before we take money. Partially because I grew up with no money and then I made something that made me a bunch of money and I realized that it actually made me feel like shit. And it makes me really fucking happy to know that I'm going to be able to interact with people like you and people like this guy I had on the phone and show them that it's not too good to be true. And that we actually are doing the things that we say that we're doing. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why people are. I mean, I do know why people are always looking for the downside or the catch. But it's really cool to be in a position where I'm just doing things that seem right. There are clear needs in this world, whether it be my nonprofit or the work we're doing here. There are clear needs in this world, and if we can help people with those needs, and just do it because it should be done, and not because we're trying to get paid. Like, I want money. I will make money. I believe we'll get ours, but I'm not upfront saying, if you don't pay me, we're not going to do this for you. There's always a way to help somebody. It's just a matter of they can't always do it on their time or their capacity. And that's okay. I don't think we need to always, there's so much in this world. Like we have so much, there's so much abundance. I have a car that has gas in it outside. I had food on the way here. I'm chilling. I'm, I'm not going to die. <laughs> yeah. So why would I turn down being able to help somebody for the money? when there's always probably somewhere we can meet that something can be done. And I think that's a lot of what this kind of work is going to be going to stand for. So when you connect with these people, mm -hmm. do they see the authenticity or are they still like, I hope so. Right, are you going to pitch me something? To, am I going to get an email? <laughs> I, 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 I am going to pitch them something, right. I'm good, but I'm going to pitch them something that's genuinely and uniquely good for them because it's for them. Like I'm not doing it because I want expectation. Like, no, look, this is a service that we can help with. Sure, there's a bit of a transaction to it. Like I can only do so much stuff for free. Right okay. now, what I'm, then what I'm telling everybody is that I'll, I'll do this for free for as many people as I can, as long as I can. And that window is actually closing super fast mm -hmm. because the work that we're doing, I mean, we've, we've brought on almost 10 clients now and we, this brand is only like 30 days old and we've, we're doing super well. And I, I think what people are watching out for is why are you trying to posture like something that you're not? Or how is this really going to help me? And I think that we can just deliver on that and actually help them mm -hmm. and then get people to actually want to interact with us or transact with us as opposed to, here's my thing, can you do something for me right up front? Right. And that's the part that bothers me about this generation or this age of entrepreneurship or social media or whatever where so many people are posturing and then crying when they all they're doing is asking for people to do things for them how can you fo follow my page buy my thing like my like it's the the line that i use is everybody's trying to fuck on the first date <laughs> <laughs> is that everybody is trying to say like hey do you want to have sex can i have your number can you do this for me can you buy my t-shirt can you follow my page can you can you can you do something for me mm -hmm. and what i'm trying to do is just reverse that what i'm doing is reversing that and saying look this is for you you I have been in this world for a little while. You might need this. This might help you. Here, that's for you. No expectation. Take it. I love you. You're a good person. Have a nice life. 
And what ends up happening is that that generally creates good business or good relationships or whatever. But it baffles me how many people are just asking and taking and then wonder why people don't want to do the, what they want them to do. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take this on a whole different... Do it. I'm, I'm going to shift. Yes. And with that shift, I'm going to take it be, just because this is one of the things that you said about this generation. Um, not even so much this generation. I think it's just this culture because if you even walk into a waiting room, you'll see the technology in front of babies, toddlers. Absolutely teenagers and grandparents so to call it a generational thing it's a little off it's 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 a cultural thing mm. um and what i mean is it's reinforcing this whole like instant gratification and so um it's changing the way that we process our neurons are firing differently yeah. and like you said it's like trying to fuck on the first date <laughs> so um people are are they don't they don't get the rules of engagement as far as what's acceptable um for sure. this whole entrepreneurship yeah. um and especially with someone like yourself who is incredibly charismatic and you. um you come in and you're kind and you're compassionate so I'm going to take this and flip it because I'd like to hear a male perspective. Please, that's what I'm just And, and I mostly do. because, <laughs> like, like I said, there's a lot of overlapping in our personality and in the way that we do things. I have found on my own personal experience because I am charismatic, I am outgoing, I am willing to have these type of conversations with people mm-hmm. that they're like, well, so... And I have to stop and go, are you trying to hire me or are you trying to date me? Which is it? <laughs> Do you ever find yourself in that position as a male? As people trying to use business as a cover to be attracted to me? Yes, yes. Yeah, all the time. And what's that like? Uh, it's kind of disappointing. Like, I, I don't like ulterior motives. 100%. I don't like when people posture as something where they say like, I love your, like, especially because the work that the Your Truth Foundation does, me being a male representing violence against women, representing trafficking of women and children and, and being in that space and largely confronting masculinity and what's going on with guys and why are guys perpetrating most of the violence and rape in this world, me being a male voice and being a strong male voice in that realm gets me a lot of attention because there's not a lot of guys that are talking like that. Right. So the girls are like, oh my gosh, you care. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you actually care. And like, if you're a feminist. I'm like, yeah. I, I am a feminist, but it's, it's, if there were any other group of people that were in the position that women and children are in, I would be that ist. And you're a boxer. Yeah, exactly. And I'm a, see you, you're yeah. not ugly either. I, I, so I, that that's, that's what I hear. I was, yeah. I was not an attractive child, so I'm still getting used to like being referred to as, as late blooming is perfect. Exactly. That's what yes. exactly what it is. But yeah, I just don't like. It's fine if you want to like shoot your shot. Like if you want to be, we're humans. We're going to be attracted to each other. That's okay. But if you're going to do it, do it in a way that is not deceitful where it's like, I love your work. It's so interesting. I'd love to volunteer for you. And then in between that turns into actually, I wanted this the whole time. Mm. And that's the part that bothers me. Yeah. And, I've been there. Yeah, I'm sure you have. And, and I think that they're probably, if guys listen to this, they're like, what's your problem, bro? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> like she's trying to get something. Like, I don't know. I, I just don't like uh, fake shit. And it, it, it makes me feel like, I don't know, it, it, because I'm upfront and real. And I'm like, look, this is, this is what you can expect from me. And this is who I am. And this is the truth of it. I mean, it's super cliche. I'm the founder of the Your Truth Foundation. I really like truth. But it's, um, it's really unfortunate for, for women to want to do that. And I understand. Like, I don't have any hate, but I'll just kindly decline. Yeah, yeah. I, appreci- I appreciate your feedback on that. Because sure. you know, it comes up for me often. Sure. And what I normally end up saying is... I just, you're a potential client and I would love to continue to have this business relationship with you in the future. For and sure. if things don't go good between us on a personal level, that's not going to happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I, I think that long term, I, I, I really, I think that along the lines of instant gratification is that creating long term relationships. I have relationships with people that have developed into things that you never know, but it takes a year to five years that you know somebody and really you know, develop that trust to be able to, you know, collaborate or do whatever you want to do together. We miss how, how much time it takes to actually build things. 
Yes. Yeah. I always say it's not the end. It's that is my my focus. It's the journey along the way. Absolutely. Because otherwise, you don't. You're you're in a constant state of suffering. Yeah. Because you're just like, I just need to get there. I need to get there. But you're not living in those moments. Right. Especially as a mother, for me, like if I. Even just living in the past, my sister the other day was like, oh, they grow so quickly. Don't you miss that? And I was like, no, I don't miss it because <laughs> I remember being in that moment and just like, God, this part sucks. Like, talk. Tell me what's wrong with you. You can't communicate. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Now they're in that space now where they can. Or, you know, it just be a state of suffering of just wanting to go back or wanting to go forward. Yeah. But rather just being is just so much more peaceful. Yes. Even when it does suck, just live in the suck. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're really comfortable being uncomfortable. Yes, yeah. because um, I believe that there's discomfort in growth. Mm -hmm. So if I am comfortable, I know I'm not growing. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, I haven't grown for a long time. I'm five foot one. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, inter I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes for you. Because I think that you naturally have a knack for conversations, so I think it'll it'll do well. Yeah, um, I appreciate you showing me the ropes. It's easy, and yeah. it's even with the vacuum and the knocking in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I think uh, this is what I like about it is that when we create podcasts, it's like being a fly on the wall mm -hmm. to be able to listen to, to somebody's conversation and that's a part of real life like somebody vacuuming next door or somebody knocking on the door or a door closing we're not in this like prime studio where there's no noise and all of this artificial ambient like no this is real life you get a little glimpse at something real and i think that is actually more impactful than the edited polished stuff because we've seen so much edited polished stuff mm -hmm. that it's just like i just want a human like somebody we can't call anybody anymore. We can't get any customer support. Like everything we talk to is a machine or a text message or a DM to be able to just listen to two people interact like humans and not be shirt and tie and well, I'm the founder of this and scripted. Like, no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just a dude sitting on a couch having a conversation with a friend. I think that's, I think that's important. And that's the way that I, I, it's what I really like about this kind of format. And it's what I've seen do super well. Yeah, and it's old too. Yeah. It's, exactly. ra it's radio. Yeah, exactly. It's radio. We've yeah. come full circle. Yes. We've come full circle from like TV or like from print to radio to TV. Now we're going back to radio. Who knows if we'll go back to print, but it's, it's fascinating to watch because everybody thought when the radio was coming out, TV started coming and we're oh man, nobody's ever going to watch that. And then TV's really hit. Like it's just, we're we're cycling in this weird way entrepreneurship is cycling in a weird way too i think we're going back to like the robber baron days oh yeah yeah how so because corporations and pensions and everything are slowly dying mm -hmm. and guys like jeff bezos and elon musk have so much power that it's, it's almost resemblant of like rockefeller and carnegie where you look at the early entrepreneurs of You're America. I'm, I really think, I think that we're going back to that way where people are going to have to know how to build their own thing, how to save their own money, how to, how to invest their own money. It's not just going to be, here's my ticket, I'm gonna work for you for 30 years, check out, take my retirement, and it's gonna be that easy. That's all dead. So what's it gonna turn back into? Mm -hmm. Is the people who are smart or lucky or skilled or all of those are gonna make a ton of money and they're gonna employ people and then hopefully those people will know what to do with their money. And if they don't, like, it's, it's, I think we're going back to the oil and steel days. Yeah, I agree. Very similar. I've been watching that trend for the last 20 years. Yeah, it's and very similar. As a, a homeschool, a former homeschool parent and as a mother, yeah. that was something that was really important to yeah. me. Ah, I can so imagine. I definitely have studied mm -hmm. all of that. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. And that's when I, when I said in my intro that I was possibly going to be a marketing teacher. I think that we need to, so I work at a school that handles re, like an incredibly at risk population and those kids are amazing. And I watch them go through math classes and science classes and it's, they, they know it's bullshit. We know it's bullshit, mm -hmm. but we're doing it so we can graduate kids. Yeah. And I have the ability to be able to teach practical money making business building skills and be a teacher at a public school and really like put that stamp in the ground and, and develop education around practical money making because I think that we're moving so far away from college diploma, moving so far away from 
who can I work for and how can I get my retirement to you're going to have to figure out a way that you can make money. How do you make yourself marketable? What does that even mean? How do you, how do you dictate value? How do you, how do you add value to somebody's life? How do you get somebody's attention? Those are all skills that we do not teach. How does that population that you work with, how do they receive that message? That seems like things that they need. But is it daunting for them? I mean, are you able to... Most of them, I mean, at-risk kids have so much shit in their life. Mm -hmm. Homelessness, financial hardship, abuse, addiction, hunger. I mean, the list is endless. For them to have to... I mean, they've already been through so much that if you give them something that, like, actually will give them an outcome, they'll latch on to it. I I know a kid who he bought a Funko Pop toy, which is like a... It's a, they make all sorts of like special edition toys. They have like this little anime body and this big head on them and they make like Avengers ones oh, and exactly the football players ones. Yes, yes, yes. He bought one at a Goodwill store for $40 and he, or no, $4, $4. He listened to me for months talk about how I sold toys and he was like, well, it's stupid, whatever. He finally listened to me after he graduated for whatever reason and he bought it for $4 in Goodwill. We went to a, like a celebration one night and it was, he's like, well, man, I finally put it on eBay. That night he sold it for $90 on eBay. He made 90 bucks that night, nice. which to an 18 year old kid who has, who works minimum wage, if that $90 is a huge chunk of money like that for making a sale. That, that's a possibility that doesn't exist for most people. They don't see that opportunity, mm-hmm. but I think it's interesting that this despair of what's happening in our economy and there's no benefits, there's no pension, there's no retirement, jobs, whatever, that that despair is running in parallel with there's more opportunity to create something or sell something or do something on the internet if you have the right skill set and the right knowledge. That's never existed before and this despair is existing in parallel with all of this opportunity. It's just a matter of where we're looking or what we're teaching people. Does that make sense? No, it does. Yeah. It makes total sense. You're speaking my language. So. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> and I and I think it's cool that I'll be able to I'll be able to do that and hopefully I mean that's just an, another road that I want to go down but look at education as a whole and like what are we really doing here? Mm-hmm. Why are we still taking the SATs? Why are we still learning about geoscience when I mean why why are we not looking at what is actually going to take somebody into life and help them make money. And then if they love geoscience and they can go learn about geoscience, but I think we're doing shit backwards. Yeah, I was just having this conversation with um, someone that I interviewed yesterday and we were talking about um, the dynamics between my co-parent and myself. Mm-hmm. And we, both him and I have been tested out um, on a higher academic level. So we're a little bit smarter than the rest of the population. I'm, I'm not. I was horrible at academics. I barely graduated <laughs> high school. Well, it doesn't mean we were good at it. It just means that we should have been good at it. it. We were just highly intelligent, but we were born in school. Got it. And so we knew we were going to have smart kids. And he went to a, a privileged um, kind of upbringing, and he went to a private school, and I went through the public school system. And then when we became a couple, and it was time to life together, he's like, I feel pretty emasculated around you. Like, you know how to life. I don't know how to life. Interesting. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, because we were, where I went to school, they were teaching us and grooming us to be CEOs and to take over our parents' companies. Mm. And I was like, well, where I went to school, they were, they were like, woohoo, you graduated high school. Good job. They taught us how to comparison shop, how to do our own taxes. Like I can go to the grocery store and I can tell you like, what this cost per ounce versus this one. Yeah. And, um, you know, these are like real life skills that turned right. out to be valuable. And then I was like, and by the way, I'm still CEO. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You went to a good school because most, most schools don't teach that. No, they don't. Yeah. I mean, their motive was a little bit lame. Yeah. But, um, and you know, it's funny. My entrepreneurship brain started very, very early. So we actually yeah, had to pick a newspaper job. That's how old I am. And, and they were like, okay, now pick your job and pick what your income's gonna be and then base your whole like life on it. Right. So all of my classmates picked these really great like admirable jobs. And then when it was time to report, my income was incredibly inflated. And they're like, why are you making so much money? And I was like, I, these jobs in this paper were shit. And I'm like, what are you doing for work? I'm like, I'm a stripper. Do you know how much money you make? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. 
my teacher was, you know, they they liked my innovation, but it was, yeah. it was a little inappropriate. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the real world, though. Yeah, the school that the school that I work at is I, I think it's one of the best educational establishments in the country. Like what the, with the work that they're doing there and and really acknowledging real needs of kids, mm-hmm. and that's a big part of all the work that I do is acknowledging what's actually happening, and and how much shit kids are being exposed to from social media to addiction to parents. Like there's just so much that's going on that kids have no idea how to navigate. That I didn't know how to navigate, but I'm in an interesting time slot because I was born in a year where I grew up without technology for the most part, but right when technology and social media was really coming online and getting saturated and coming to scale, I was graduating high school. So I could really understand what it would be like to grow up with those things and watching kids younger than me have those platforms, but also knowing what it's like not to have them and knowing what real human interaction or just life without the screen looked like. And I think it, it puts me in a special position to be able to communicate to both sides of the fence. Because yeah, and it makes you obligated to be an advocate for that too. I, the obligation, I agree. I think it's my responsibility. Yeah. I think that it, that I have a real responsibility to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I want you to dig. Like, is there anything that you're curious about? I mean, we can sit here and chat all day, but is there anything that you're really curious about hearing or knowing or? Uh, let's see, where does that passion come from? Which one? For doing what you do. Which part? Just giving away yourself the way you do. I don't. I don't see it as giving away myself. I, I see it as. Or sharing, I should say. I was. I, I. I. am blessed with an incredibly strong mind and body. I'm very resilient and very capable, and I think that it's my. That's the only way I can really justify that to myself. Like, why did I get this, and the kid next to me got end stage cancer? Mm-hmm. I. Don't know why, but I'm gonna make my why the fact that I got that so that I could use that to help other people. That is my why and that is my story around like, I'm intelligent and capable and can communicate. I can, I, I'm incredibly athletic. Like, I'm lucky that I have all these things. Were you always athletic? No, I was a very chubby child. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I was, let's talk I, about your late blooming. Yeah, sure, I was, okay. I, was, I was a shy, chubby, extremely socially anxious, kid that got bullied in school didn't get girls um we didn't grow up with much money um my parents my parents are incredible people um but i grew up around a lot of alcoholism a lot of addiction Mm. um i'm grateful for it they're amazing people they always they always raised me and gave me everything that they could with what they had but we're all just people trying to be people you know um horrible attendance records in school middle middle elementary school middle school i was terrified i would i would be i would fake sick or actually be sick from school and would continue to perpetuate my sickness like fake it or whatever just so I wouldn't have to go back and talk to the teacher and tell the teacher that I was sick because I was scared of what they might say to me I was intimidated by every, everything was scary like there's no way in hell public speaking there's no way I hated it even in community college like 19 or 20 years old when I dabbled in college I took a speech class and I was shaking like literally I there was something super deep in me that just made me and anxiety wasn't really a word 10 years ago That's I mean, true. it was but it's, it wasn't nearly as saturated as it is now mm-hmm. so everybody said oh he's shy oh you know just just do it it's fine you're just scared looking back i'm like no i had extreme social anxiety there was some serious shit going on like in my brain i was terrified of everything the worst attendance record ever um my mom went so the big turning point for me though was when i was f- around 16 years old i my mom went in the hospital overnight uh paramedics came got her brought her to the emergency room put her in for exploratory surgery which means they just basically cut you open and see if they can figure out what's wrong yeah. um she had a 10 percent chance to live she came out of surgery went into icu for three weeks was in ICU for three weeks and then went to Eater Intermediate for another three months and was in rehab for another three months after that. So overnight, you take this socially anxious kid who just wanted to be accepted. That was a big part of it. I got, I mean, I had this like long hair and it's rat tail that went down to the middle of my back and kids would pull my hair until my hair came out of my head, like literally rip my hair out of my head. And um, it was just this weird climax where I cut off all my hair I decided to start working out. Then my mom went in the hospital and I was just starting to figure out like, how am I gonna grow up? 
And when she went in, it was like taking this socially anxious kid who was scared of the world and was like, here's the keys to a car. Your driver's license test is in three weeks. You better pass it or you won't have any way to get to school. Mm-hmm. Figure out a way to make, make money so you can pay for your insurance, so you can pay for your gas and find a way to get to school and find a way to visit your mom in the hospital because you don't know how long she's going to live. Like overnight, boom, here's all this responsibility. And it was like right then and there, I'm like, I'm going to figure out a way to make this shit happen. I'm going to figure out a way to sustain what I want to sustain. And like, I remember my first, one of my first like paid jobs. I was always sort of entrepreneurial where I was like detailing people's cars and doing all that, all that stuff like neighbors or whatever. But I was always, I was way too anxious to ever really dive into it. But I had an uncle who I think is where I, the makings of my charisma that you talked about earlier come from where he was an amazing salesman. Didn't graduate high school, didn't do it, didn't do well at all in school, but an incredible charismatic dude. And uh, I looked up to him, he was like my idol. And he was selling drill bits to the North Island Air Base. And what his scheme was, was they work on planes there and they drill the F-18s and like all the military planes. He was selling the bits. And what happens is the bits eventually get dull and they put them all in this box to get sharpened. Well, he's like, well, I can just take the bits that I've sold them, resharpen the bits and then sell them back to the military. And he cut me this deal where he's like, I'll pay you $5 an hour to sort through this box of drill bits. I mean, I'm serious, like four feet by four feet by, yeah, it was like four feet wide, four feet high and four feet deep. So it was a four foot cube crate, plywood crate <laughs> full of drill bits. And they all had like metal shavings on them. So I had to wear, cause they're cancer causing metal shavings. Right. So I had to wear gloves. And I'm, I sifted through drill bits to find the number 10 cobalt drits. It's a, it's a, it's a certain size and cobalt is a certain, is a certain material they use to make drill bits that can drill a certain metal. He said, you find all the number 10s cause those are the valuable ones. You find all those, pay you $5 an hour and then I'll give you a cut when I sell them back to the military. And that was the way that I funded like I can make, I've worked 12 hours straight and I make 60 bucks. And that was like my gas tank to drive down to Pacific beach to be able to sharpen these drill bits was nuts. And, but I never, it was a poor deal because I never got any money from that. I never got any commission (laughs) because he never actually sold the drill bits back to the, back to the company. He was a great guy, but he always, he had sometimes had a problem with following through, Mm -hmm. but that was keys to a car, drive down to Pacific beach. And then I started working with him in other ways, like building a handyman business, like doing that kind of stuff, learning how to cut drywall, learning how to patch drywall, paint, just like picking up little trades because he did that on the side too. And I've always kind of kept that in my back pocket. And just ever since then, I, I knew the weaknesses that I had as a person that I felt were my weaknesses, not necessarily what people projected onto me. And I went into a homeschool program when I was 18 years old because I wasn't, I wasn't scheduled. I wasn't on track to graduate high school. I was too far behind. Because all your absences. You know, my absences and I was just getting into stupid stuff and like beginning of my high school career, like started doing drugs and just dumb shit. And uh, there was this homeschool program called New Directions where basically what they did is you didn't go to school anymore, but they gave you a packet of work and you could take classes as fast as you wanted. And that's where I was able to kind of take it apart and do it the way that I needed to do it. I didn't have to go at the pace of the world. Mm. I went at my pace. So I was able to actually graduate, be on track to graduate ahead of schedule because I was able to look at this work and not have to do it with everybody else. And that's where I kind of started to figure out like, okay, you're different and you do really, really well on your own. You do really well outside of this golden road that is this path, like go to college, do your thing. I do really well outside of those, outside of the golden gates of society. And I just started doing everything and anything and trying and just doing things. And I can work really hard. I have a great work ethic and I'm really lucky for that. But that's where it all came from. I was 18 years old, graduate high school, tried college. And in parallel, I was working with a boxing coach who had been on Showtime and HBO. He was a really high level professional coach. And I interned with him for two years straight, driving from San Diego to Temecula every single day for free, working for him for three hours a day, back and forth, in between going to school and doing all that. And that eventually landed me in the pro boxing world. And in between, while I was doing that, I was just trying all sorts of different stuff, reading about the stock market or reading about how to write a book or just one of my, what really did a lot for me was I developed this habit and it was, it was from a simple quote. There's this quote that says, uh, regular people learn from their own mistakes. Smart people learn from the mistakes of others. And I read that when I was like 19 or 20. I'm 27 now. And I looked at that. I was like, you're, you're so old. I know. I'm getting up there. <laughs> I was like, and I read that quote and I was like, you're right. 
regular people sometimes learn from their mistakes, but smart people can really look at like other people and change their behavior based off of what they see other people doing. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, if I started reading books, I could learn about everybody else's mistakes and I could avoid a ton of mistakes. So I developed this habit that no matter when I went to sleep at night or when I had to wake up in the morning, I would set my alarm for one hour earlier and I would wake up and read for an hour in the morning every single day. I've done that for seven years. 90% of my days, I'll wake up an hour before my alarm and read for an hour. Journal for 15 minutes and then read for the remainder of the hour. And uh, that is, that, that I, I can contribute probably about 80% of my like quote unquote success to being able to have the discipline to get up an hour before I had to and read. And also the knowledge that compounds over that many years when, you, when you're just, you're learning about so many different things and so many like concepts that it applies to so much. I think that it's a lot of what is actually allows me to sit here and contend with you in a conversation on this couch is the fact that I've read a ton of books. I was reading like 50 books a year or something like that. Yeah. I have a similar pattern with books. That's cool. It's, it, I, I think it's, there's, it's so interesting how we've watched society grow and you would think that if you gave people all of the information mm -hmm. that the knowledge and general intelligence of the population would rise but we have more in knowledge and information than ever. Because once I got into podcasts shortly after I developed that and podcasts just amplified everything because it was rather than reading people's words, which was slower for me because I'm not the best reader, it was being able to listen to conversations and really hear stories and understand. So you took so much knowledge and injected it into the population. I think it's fascinating that we haven't, we've actually seen more ignorance than we have seen general intelligence in most people. There's more resource than ever. I think it's because there's more resistance in people. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. They're not it, as willing it's to not, expand themselves. It's really rough though, because anything you want to learn, you whatever you want to learn, it exists on this phone. You could pick your phone up and say, "Hey Siri, I want to learn about that, da 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 da." And you, if if you had the discipline, you could do it. Well, I think that's the problem is because it's on this little device that allows you to do hundreds of other things other than learn. Mm -hmm. That's why I prefer um, the books themselves. Mm -hmm. Like I'll literally walk out of the library with like 20 books yeah. in my arms and, yeah, yeah. and study one specific subject. Yeah. Like weird things. Like the other day I studied the history of San Diego. So I can be an official tour guide to people because I just know yeah. about San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a it, just because it fascinated no me. <laughs> it makes a difference and I think that that trait of being of just being interested in things I, I wish more people validated that in themselves because I think a lot of people are interested in lots of different things but they think it's stupid knowledge like I'm, nobody cares about that thing like, just do what you find is interesting and honestly I don't even care what type of knowledge interests people like for me okay that that's that interests me and I can have a conversation with anyone about it but I have no exposure to, to programming, mm -hmm. so I haven't subscribed to any type of um, media for, yeah. uh, gosh, for a since college. I believe it. So when people try to talk to me and they're like, have you seen that commercial? I or, know. Me are too. you watching this show? <laughs> me and too. I'm just like, no, I'm not. I know. I'm keeping up with that. I know. But I can tell you, we were one of the major tuna fishing industries. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah. you're what we call a unicorn. <laughs> um, I learned that in my, my yoga class. Um, you're, you're a pure example of post-traumatic growth. Yeah. So, that, so what happened with you and your mom, yeah. you could have gone either up or down and you chose to go up. Yeah, that will, I think that that, I tell this, I mean, these guys, he, he definitely knows when I say this, like when I talk about trauma and I'm very deeply, like I'm super familiar with trauma. I, for myself and for people I've cared about in my entire life, for whatever reason, it's been like I've I've been this this gravitational pull for people who have had deep trauma in their lives, and I've had I've had my own fair share too. But I know people have had things that you just you read about, you watch movies about. Like I know those people, and if you were to watch, if you were to if you were to, and I, it's weird that I frame it this way. If you were to objectively look at this guy in high school, like just the statistic that is me and you were asked to place money on where I was going to end up, if you looked at me when I was 14 or 15, I should be strung out, probably a couple different kids, couple different mothers, living paycheck to paycheck, if I have a paycheck, yeah. possibly incarcerated. I shouldn't be this person, statistically. I shouldn't be this person. And I, I keep digging to find the thing that allowed me to experience more post-traumatic PTG, more, more post-traumatic growth and post-traumatic stress. And 
I don't necessarily have an answer. Um, for that there was a clear decision that be, rather than that, that I was going to write my story, that I remember realizing the situation I was in, the alcoholism, the addiction, and just seeing how what that could turn me into and knowing that I wanted to use that to, to in spite of it, that I wanted to use that to help people and to make sure that I never had to experience that as opposed to because of this, I'm going to be this. Well, you do have the answer. It's all back to that quote. Yeah, but, but, but you learn from other people's mistakes. But it was, it, it was way, how do we come to that decision? You know what I mean? Like, I, because if everybody had the, the forethought to make that decision, I think they would. I was lucky enough to have that forethought. What I've been learning is, um, you're right, not everyone does. I, I, um, what I've been learning is um, there's something inside of some of us that not all of us have that pushes into post-traumatic growth. Um, some of the research that they've done, there's not a lot of it. There are um, certain key elements that are there um, where they well, they'll choose to take a path where they don't want to be like what they see. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for me, I don't, I didn't want to be like my mother. Yeah. So I'm an, I'm an incredible mother. I own that. Yeah. I'll say that over and over again. It's beautiful. And um, the other thing is, people um, who experience post-traumatic growth have some kind of spiritual anchor. Yeah. Um, they recognize that there's something bigger beyond themselves. Yeah. And I can't remember, I think the third one was the, the anomaly, the unexplainable. Uh, like there's just something what we were just genetically engineered different. Than yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I always say I have a positive psychosis. Yeah. That most people, I, I honestly think that I'm positively crazy. Because Me too. A lot, because a lot, <laughs> uh, like one of our strongest evolutionary mechanisms biologically mm -hmm. is wanting to be accepted or wanting to be like other people. Yes. Herd, pack mentality, herd mentality. Yes. So you want, you know, stand out because then the predator will see you as right. different. Exactly. And if you blend in, yeah. it's easier to. Yeah. It's similar to death. I mean, if, yeah. if people don't like you, then you'll be exiled from the tribe. If you don't live in the tribe, you're mm -hmm. going to die. That's why speaking out against things or looking different or being different that fear or that resistance that people feel internally is similar to death. It's a similar mechanism internally. Mm -hmm. And I always say that I'm positively crazy because I never really, exp I don't experience that too much. I've been on the outside for so long yeah. that I'm just like, it's fine out here. And I think that whatever sparked me to be able to do that, to have that strength to stay on the outside is my positive psychosis. I'm actually a little uncomfortable on the inside. Yeah. I can only stay in it for a little while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I like that. I always say that I belong everywhere and nowhere. Exactly. Which gives you the opportunity to be able to shift in and out of different um, circles and be able to spread messages that people who can't do that. So you can go here and say, well, I was in this other group and this is what we talked about. And that's sometimes a group that this other group that you're going back to can't access. Exactly. Yeah. Like for me, I belong to two. Um, women entrepreneur groups and they're very different yeah one is a group of very successful very prominent women and then the other one is very successful prominent women but the difference is they're women of color um, specifically yeah. so we talk about things in a different way and i'm able to convey messages between the two groups because i can fit in both of them it's beautiful i i think that that's I have a, a, that's one of my superpowers is communication. And I have. I agree. That is your superpower. <laughs> Thank you. I should make you a t-shirt. I have a lady across the hall who makes them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I need, I definitely need some shirts. I, uh, for whatever reason, I've had people who have had all sorts of edge case experiences. Trust me enough to let me in and really see what that's like. And what it's created for me is a ton of empathy. Mm -hmm. There's also this, there's this interesting theory that as a child, if you grow up in an environment where you don't feel safe, yeah. your brain will kill its needs. Well, you're internally, you will become hyper attuned to the people around you as a toddler at a really young age. It's a survival mechanism. It's a psychological theory that you will become highly attuned to everything around you. Everybody else's emotional needs. So you become super emotionally intelligent but you will kill your own needs in order to suit others. Because if other people, if you're not attentive to what they need as a kid, if you're not making them happy, however you need to behave as a child, if you're not making them happy, 
if they're not happy, then they might not take care of you and you might die. That's how codependence connected to narcissists. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I have, I have that mechanism of growing up in that situation. So I have this like predisposal to being hyper emotionally intelligent. And I've taken a lot of time to kind of hone my craft and learn about psychology and learn about emotions and emotional needs and enmeshment and all these different things. So I've taken this like predisposal and I've layered on top of it, this knowledge. And I think it's a lot, it allows me to communicate with people at a, at a, at a in a different or, or more effective way than, than people who come from different backgrounds. And it's all beautiful and it's it's awesome. Thank and you. It's, and it's yeah, I'm, I, it's one of the things that I can say. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that. I really it makes like. Makes me feel it. all like fuzzy talking to you. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I wonder, like, does it ever make you feel overwhelmed? No, I I think at one point in my life it did, but I'm I have no problem upholding boundaries. Okay. So if I need space for myself, I have no problem saying that because I've seen what happens if I don't. Mm. So I. My tolerance is also super high, but yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't feel like it drains me. I'm also not the guy to talk to if you need to vent. I'm the wrong person, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not the person that will help people run in circles because I feel like I'm not doing them any good. I'm the person that will help you, and that's more painful a lot of the times, the person that will show you what they think is wrong and really help you like dig into some truth and then help you execute against that. That's the hard thing to do. It's a lot easier to go talk to the person that will sit with you and make you feel good about the things that you're not actually changing in your life. So I think that that probably sort of like self-regulates a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that will, would feel draining because the people who want to do nothing generally don't want to talk to me. You're a catalyst. Yeah, exactly. In your mirror. Exactly. And that makes people like that uncomfortable. Yeah. The people that want to talk to me, generally the people who want to do things and that's what fires me up is the people who want to do stuff and want to make a change like i will die for you if you want to make a change let's go let's do it but if you just want to spin in your own shit and rationalize it i'm the wrong person to talk to so it kind of like self-regulates out the people that would be draining me on my energy yeah yeah i feel you yeah i'm in that same space too yes i agree and it's not because of a lack of empathy for those people it's just more so that you can see the potential of being wasted yes. and it's just frustrating yes absolutely. to love someone on that level absolutely and then watch that just rot away absolutely so it's you know you gotta go yeah and sometimes it, it exactly it and I'm not, them. I'm not doing you any good exactly you feel it making you feel better about something you shouldn't feel good about is no. not is not good for you no hard love is important <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I, I have a circle of truth of people who call me out and, you know, I can't grow if you're just, you know, yeah. just making me feel like you're doing great and yeah. I know I'm not. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. <laughs> and it's funny because that's what I always tell people is that the more prominent I become where the money or the stature or the speaking event or whatever, it like on an exterior level, it starts to look more like successful. the more people seem to shy away from me and I'm like, no, no, no. Like I want you to challenge me. I want you in my life because you will tell me I'm an idiot. I need that. Why do you shy away from me? There was a clear break point right around the time, like when my marketing company was indexed as top five in San Diego, where I was like, I I found out a top five company. That's so cool. (laughs) Everybody started agreeing with everything. I was the guy that grew up being told like, you're never going to make it you're never going to do anything. Just get real. Like quit. These are cool dreams, but you better get over your shit. And once I like was able to put a concrete stamp in the ground, everybody just started going, we always believed in you and it's amazing. And everybody starts agreeing with you because you're successful. And I don't want that just because you have an achievement doesn't mean that you're, nobody knows what's going on. Nobody, nobody knows this game. Nobody has it figured out. Never. I do not have to figure it out at all. I never will. Neither will you, neither will he. We can understand what makes us happy internally. But as far as being able to navigate this thing, nobody ever has that figured out. And for people to think that because I had a couple wins that I'm trying to posture now as this expert, like, no, 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 no. I just have experience. That's it. I have a hunch. But I need people in my life who will smack me in the face and be like, are you sure you're doing the right thing here? Because this seems dumb. You need to check me, please, <laughs> please check me. Like I love negative feedback. I really do it. Fire, it it fires me up. I love it so much. I remember, I'll never forget. I was sitting on the beach with a friend of mine and we were talking about uh, one of the things I was building and she goes, oh, I ran into this guy from high school. And she, she was saying that he was basically saying that I wasn't validated to talk about any of the things I was talking about because I never went to school. And she's like, I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want to discourage you. And my face lit up. I'm like, yeah, that's good. 
<laughs> I like that he's talking about me. That's good. I haven't seen this guy in nine years and my name is in his mouth. That's great. Well, I didn't want to disappoint you. I'm like, no, no, I love it. She looked at me. She's like, you're a little crazy. <laughs> I like getting punched in the face. I feel you. Yeah. Well, I could probably talk to you all day. No, this is perfect. But um, I'm not going to. Yeah. I I'm would continue to talk to you another time. Yes. This is perfect. And I think, I think it'll be a good kind of segue for how long you went. So that was 49 minutes. It's a solid conversation. So do you want to, do you want to say anything before we sign off? Cause this will be the end of the podcast. Um, I want to know what your goal is for the week. I don't generally have long, weekly goals. Um, you have a philosophy on weekly goals? I have a philosophy on goals in general. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. Is that I move, I move very, very quickly. Mm. And that if I, if I set goals, they'll probably slow me down as to what I'm actually capable of. So that they'll like, they'll bias me a little bit. People are like, what's your five-year goal? Like, I don't have a five-year goal. I don't believe that any battle plan actually lasts past the first battle. So if I set a goal, my goal needs to change because the thing that I did on Monday was so successful or so much of a failure that my goal actually isn't, they're really inaccurate. So I have like really long-term goals, like 30-year goals, and I have like day goals, but I don't usually set anything in between mm -hmm. because I need to be able to move and execute and change. And I find that if I put a goal down, it'll probably bias me in a direction that I don't need to go. I like to stay super flexible and super fluid. And when I, and I know that I'll move fast regardless of if I have a goal or not. I'm not a very goal-oriented person. I'm, I'm not even surprised. And like, <laughs> I actually completely understand because I tend to function the same way. Yeah. And it um, irritates the people around me because they think yeah. they need to know what and, I'm doing. And, it's about, <laughs> and, and I think it's about knowing who you are and what makes you tick. If you're a goal-oriented person and it helps you to know that you need to get to the top of that mountain, that's great. I just really like the process and I like the game. So walking up the mountain is the goal for me. I've already achieved my goal. I like being able to like be in it and have the pain and have the fun and the wins and all that stuff. So um, overall, like internally, my goal is to trust myself more, mm. to be more trusting in the fact that I am capable and that I can do the big, crazy, lofty things that I want to do and that I don't have to think that I'm a fraud or that I'm a liar or that any of those things because those are internal beliefs for me that it's a whole long story behind it. But um, trusting more in myself and my capability and really diving into that word of trust and not having to like anxiously validate it with crazy long work hours and always making sure that I'm an achiever, just knowing that I'm enough. Mm. I'm glad we recorded that because I'm going to replay that for myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I have trust written on my hand. It's perfect. That's why I set intentions. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. That. If you are hearing my voice now, thank you so much for making it all the way through that and giving me that time and that attention. It really means the world. Um, I've had a few requests for a few different videos and different topics that I'll be putting on Instagram and maybe diving into a little deeper here. But um, if you have anything, easiest way to reach me is Instagram at mattburn, M-A-T-T-B-U-R-N underscore O-W-O. And we'd love to hear from you. love to interact with you. But until next time.